I think I mentioned I wanted to talk about equanimity. Uh, and I also mentioned that I got a call last night to, I signed up to be a poll worker and they got contacted me last night and um, in LA, you have to do five hours of training before you can be a poll worker and I have to be a poll worker tomorrow. So I've been in this training two hours in person and then three hours online myself. And so I'm a little um, fuzzy. So I didn't have a lot of time to devote to looking at equanimity. So I have some notes and I have some stuff. So I just wanted to meander through equanimity um, rather than having a real solid Dharma talk. And I reason I wanted to do equanimity and I've been kind of <clears throat> touching on it a lot lately is because, well, I found a, a, a um, an equanimity meditation that Rick Hansen has in his book, Buddha's Brain, which I've done a few times in morning meditation um, and in another group I'm, I'm doing. And it's, it's that, that, uh, for what he did was this really this cultivation of awareness and noticing when things are pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, getting into the second foundation of mindfulness of feeling tone and really seeing that, oh, this sensation is unpleasant or this is pleasant and not reacting. Our tendency is to react. It's, you know, that, that evolutionary response that we have, if it's pleasant, keep it. If it's not pleasant, push it away. And so this was just a, a, a flavor of equanimity of not um, grasping, just seeing how things move by, which is what equanimity is. And I think the reason why I've been landing here a lot lately is because of the state of the world right now. It's so easy to get sucked into so many different directions. And I, and I, um, I mean, we're talking everything is, there's the pandemic, there's the political situation, there's the, there's the, the social unrest, um, there's the economic um, catastrophe that's happening, there's climate, there's everything, there's, you know, the World Series with the Dodgers winning and somebody on the team having COVID in the, like the ninth inning, I mean, of the last game of the World Series. I mean, it's like, of course, why wouldn't that happen? I mean, it's just so easy to get sucked into all these things. And people are really anxious and people are really um, getting lost, uh, getting, suffering a lot over this. And I have... I really believe that the teaching around equanimity and this this Buddhist practice, these teachings are a way not to get sucked into that. I mean, it doesn't mean we abdicate um, responsibility or that we don't care or that we uh, uh, acquiesce to what's going on saying, oh yeah, that because that's what um, in, in the, the teachings of the Brahma Viharas, the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, joy, appreciative joy and equanimity, there are, there are um, near enemies and far enemies. And near enemies are qualities that are close enough to the thing itself to be confusing. And the near enemy of equanimity is indifference. But there's a difference 
between equanimity. You're still aware. You're still connected to the world. But indifference is like, meh, is more of a bypass. It's like, I'm going to put my hands in my ears and pretend I don't care. Um, uh, it's a, it can be very dismissive, like um, ignoring things that have happened to you and because you don't want to feel the experience of feeling. Um, I think that this practice of equanimity is to be really involved with the experience but not grasping or pushing away just being with another translation of sati mindfulness is being with being with the experience and um the far enemies just for um information the far enemies are i know anxiety is one of them i have written down here um worry stress comparing judging that is as far from equanimity as you can get that <laughs> so that's why i think when so many people are just so caught up in worry and anxiety and stress this really this recognition of come back let go let go let go let go it doesn't like i said it doesn't mean you're giving up on the world it doesn't mean any of those things it means you're able to hold it with um more wisdom and so what I have is I have a few teachers who I, I've collected these teachers um, uh, touching on equanimity. And I just wanted to share some of those because I think it's really it's really different, different viewpoints of equanimity. And some of them may ring true. Some of them may resonate. Some of them may not. Um, Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the book on equanimity, excuse me, she wrote the book Loving loving kindness about the heart practices and she talks about equanimity is the articulation of wisdom we see deeply into the true nature of things when we're indifferent we're just like pushing it away going yeah no big deal no big deal but when we are when we have equanimity we're able to see clearly which is what this is about. This is about seeing the suffering that does exist. We see it. We see the joy. We see the suffering. You know, the eight worldly winds are a teaching of equanimity. The eight worldly winds are these pairs of things that happen to everyone, gain and loss. We all experience gain. We all experience loss. We all experience pleasure. We all experience pain. So seeing that, the articulation of wisdom, we see deeply into the true nature of things. There's, We're going to lose everyone that's close to us. We're going to lose everything. Nothing is permanent. And to be able to hold that with a balance that doesn't drive us over the edge and go yeah this is this is the nature of the world there is there is birth there is death you know it's that understanding of the first noble truth that there is birth there is death there is suffering there is pain it happens we're going to die um so to see that because when we're not clear on that, we fight against it. We get caught up in the aversion. We get caught up in the chasing, chasing of the pleasure. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this as well in Wise View when he says we touch reality deeply. We know what's going on inside and outside of ourselves. And that's the way to liberate ourselves from the suffering that's caused by wrong perception, by seeing things incorrectly, by thinking there's a way out of suffering. That's not seeing suffering, that, but that there's a, there's a shiny prize that if we get it, 
will be happy. Like if the election goes a particular way on Tuesday, we'll live happily ever after. All our problems will be solved. And if it doesn't go the way we want, then this is going to happen. So it must happen the way I want it to happen or I'm screwed forever. And that's that's a little bit um, anxiety provoking. But a lot of people are in that place. And so to step back from that and to have a bigger picture and see that the world just kind of comes and goes and we're not there yet. We can't predict it's like a friend of mine, her, her, her uh, close relative died recently that she has been dreading for a long time. She's been dreading this death and thinking this is going to happen. And that's going to every time this person got sick, she thought, now this is it. And she lived, she died a thousand deaths for this woman. And then when the death finally happened, it was like so different. It's so different. I mean, it was tragic and sad and there's a lot of grief, but what you think is going to happen is never going to happen is not going to happen most of the time so to uh let go of that uh that suffering that we bring on ourselves thinking that things have to be a certain way right view he tignat han says right view is not an ideology a system or even a path it's the insight we have into the reality of life you know this is the heart of Buddhist teaching. We see what's going on. And then Arena Weissman, who is a, a wonderful teacher, says much of our practice is seeing our relationship to our situation. And so there's the situation and then there's how we relate to it, which is what Rick Hansen was getting at in, I, in that equanimity practice that I mentioned. He goes, it's unpleasant. And we have this tendency to cling, to grasp it. And instead we just... Oh, it's pleasant. Okay, great. It's going to pass. Oh, here comes unpleasant. Okay, it's going to pass. Here comes neutral. That's the vast majority of our experience is neutral. And we're just totally oblivious to it because, you know, pleasant and unpleasant is, is so much nicer or uh, more interesting. Even unpleasant is more interesting than neutral. Neutral is so boring. Until you recognize that neutral can be really uh, contentment, can be really full of ease. Um, you know, and there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a quote about equanimity that I think I got from a teacher at a retreat that says, it's a steady, deep intimacy beyond preferences, love of truth and born of wisdom. It's this intimacy, this willingness to just live our life without blinders, without shade, without um, any kind of um, coloring. In fact, there's a, there's a quote. Um, there's a quote from the third Zen patriarch, I think, about no preferences, which I really, really like. And this is from, um, this is from, um, Joseph Goldstein quotes this in his book, Mindfulness. He's talking about equanimity and he talks about it. It's this wisdom. There's a wisdom aspect of equanimity is, um, beautifully expressed in the famous opening lines of, on um, the faith of mind by the third Zen ancestor, the third Zen patriarch. 
The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are infinitely are set infinitely apart. So as soon as we move towards wanting one thing or another, it's just like heaven and earth are just, you know, light years away from each other. We're just um, moving in a direction of one to another. Instead, we are asked to just have this um, world without preference. This is the way it is. Right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this is a, is a phrase that invites us to be equanimous that says, this is the way it is. This seeing clearly into the, the impermanent nature of the world, that their life is unsatisfactory in and of itself, and that there's that we're conditioned beings, and there's constant shifting and changing, and so to recognize that is uh, with and without preference. And um, I have to say, because this question always comes up when I talk about this, no preference. It's like, yeah, but I want, we want this, we want that. I wanna, I wanna have a world where there is no harm where there's no war, I want to have a world, you know, and we have these kinds of um, desires, which are not bad. Desire is not a bad word in Buddhism, although some people think it is. We want to live in a world where all beings are free, where no one causes harm to another. Um, yes, and the no preference is meaning that we are able to be with, again, Sati, be with the experience that's right here. It's kind of crappy right now. That experience is oftentimes living in our bodies. It's unpleasant. And we just can hold it. We can be with it. We say, okay, this is unpleasant. What, what's causing this discomfort? What's causing this unpleasantness? What's causing this grief, this sadness? We need to do something about that, but we don't say this feeling has to be different. That's the difference, if that makes sense. This feeling has to change for me to be okay. It's like we can be okay with this feeling anyway. We don't have to feel different. We, it's, I have, there's another one. I have this, we let go of thinking we can control the stream of what life offers us. It's like, no, we just let it happen. It just is. You've, I'm sure we've all tried to control things. Anybody? Yeah. Um, it's, oftentimes it causes more problems. It's like, you know, I, I end up shooting myself in the foot or um, what I'm starting to do, here's, a, here's an aside. I'm starting to notice all the things, all the phrases that, that we have in our culture that are militaristic, like shooting myself in the foot. So I'm trying to notice those and find different phrases to say. And it's really interesting how often something like that comes up. So anyway, that's an aside. So we often end up um, hurting ourselves because of it, because we, we have an intention and it's like, I want to do, I want it to turn out well. I want the best. And it's just like we get caught up in things and it doesn't turn out and we're destroyed or whatever. And instead of taking a much bigger picture, which really also helps me with the craziness of the world today, 
It's like we're living in that this I think it's probably created by the 24-hour news cycle where we're living from moment to moment breaking news to breaking news to breaking news refresh refresh what's the new idea what's the new story what's happening now refresh refresh you know it's the 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 phone we're constantly you know what's going on did I get another email what's going did what happened did somebody a new notification who posted what this constant craving that's the attachment that's the craving and that in itself causes so much harm and so much discomfort and so much suffering so letting go of that and stepping back and taking the much bigger picture the generational the geologic time that big picture that things are going to work out the way they're going to work out and it's not going to I I'm not going to live long enough to see how this all turns out. I might live another 25, 30, 40 years. I'm still not sure it's going to all end. I'm going to see how this, you know, this plays itself out. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than all of us. Um, Cycles, these cycles take a long time. And we just keep doing what we can do in this moment. You know, working for things here or there. I think I can't impact anything on this large scale, but I can impact things right here. So to get back from that, that catastrophic idea of this, you know, ah, um, that's what's keeping me calm. And I, I, I really investigate and I'm like, am I in denial? Am I in this place of, of indifference? But I think I'm really hoping that I've caught into a little bit of equanimity. It's not that I don't get pissed off and scream and yell and rant and want to throw things, but I don't stay there. And um, we learned how to care for ourselves, which I think is really important to tend to um, tend to our uh, be tender with ourselves. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about in the, and I use this a lot, in the fifth precept in his his take on it. It's not just ingesting um, things that lead to heedlessness like drugs and alcohol, but he says, watch what you consume, period. Watch the food you're ingesting. Watch what you're uh, listening to. Watch what you're reading. Um, I'd throw social media in there. Really be careful. Are you watching news? Are you get up in the morning and turn on the news? That can't be helpful. So really take care of yourself. Watch what you're putting into your um, your system, all your systems, all your senses. That's what I think they mean when they talk about guarding the sense doors. What are you bringing in? There's the old garbage in, garbage out. I don't know if it means that. Um, so um, I want to do a couple other things around um, equanimity. Um, Rick Hansen talks about it in his book, Buddha's Brain. And um, I read this quote last week. I've read it a couple of times. I've read it in the morning, but I think it's really helpful to um remember because it kind of points to the seven factors of awakening which is that um, there is ease and when the hindrances are gone when the hindrances are not present 
we do have this ease, we do have this calm, this tranquility that exists even in spite of the craziness of the world because we're not attached to that. Um, and he says that it's a remarkable fact that the people who have gone to the very deepest into the mind, the sages, the saints of every religious tradition, all say essentially the same thing. Your fundamental nature is pure, conscious, peaceful, radiant, loving, and wise. Although your true nature may be hidden momentarily by stress and worry, anger and unfulfilled longings, it still continues to exist. And knowing this can be a great comfort. So the Buddha points to this, that when you're free from craving and suffer, craving and attachment, aversion, the hindrances, restlessness, worry, dullness, doubt, there's an ease, there's a contentment that exists in spite of what's going on. So the, the um, cultivation of equanimity, the willingness to... Um, um, let go of preference has a great uh, value for our internal, um, how we land in the world internally. There's this contentment, even with the, with the stuff going on. And again, it's not because we're ignoring it, but because we can be uh, at ease. We can be balanced. We're not knocked over by the eight worldly winds. We have this balance. Um, that comes up with equanimity. There are a couple of things that, oh, my notes. I've got, like I said, I didn't get to put this all together. Um, let's see if I can think this one thing. We, What we do when we cultivate, um, yeah, when we cultivate um, or do a, a, a formal equanimity practice because it's, it's very similar to a loving kindness practice where we repeat phrases and over and over and over again uh, we repeat phrases like um, this is the way life is this is the way things are I am at peace with the past and the present um, what was it I wish I had written it down oh well I I have so many notes here, um, but it's about al allowing things to unfold. Just that's right. Being okay with the unfolding, just being okay with the unfolding of life as it happens. Naya Ponika Thera, who was, uh, uh, I think he did a lot of translating of the suttas. He said, equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind. And they say when you are, uh, when something comes up, when you have equanimity, you are able to give the appropriate response. Whatever shows up, you can respond appropriately with kindness, with compassion, with joy, with grief, whatever it is. With equanimity, the Dalai Lama says, with equanimity, you can deal with situations with calm and reason while keeping your inner happiness. You can have this calm and this tranquility while dealing with crises, while dealing with death. If you've been around death, um, 
people who are dying, loved ones or whatever, um, oftentimes there is this ease, there is this tranquility. That's really quite extraordinary that when you think about it um, in an abstract way, it doesn't seem to make sense. But if you uh, oftentimes, you know, sometimes there isn't people fight. But when people are just, okay letting go, there is this tranquility that's really quite extraordinary. Um, You have this great steadiness of mind that um, shows up with with equanimity. And, and Rick says that we, um, um, if you can just let there be pleasant without chasing it, let un- let there be unpleasant without resisting it, resisting it, and let there be neutral without ignoring it. You can just let those things go, not chase, not touch, not anything. Um, so you set your, you understand the the wise view of seeing that things are impermanent and that are fleeting or chasing things that are fleeting are not going to bring lasting happiness that we set an intention to be a quantumist that pay attention that sati being with this mindfulness um, that we trust awareness that's it we said We trust an awareness in being awake rather than in transient and unstable conditions. So instead of putting your hope in um, things turning out a certain way, trust in awareness. This is taking refuge in the Dharma, taking refuge in what is. Trust in awareness. When you build up or have enough experience being present and, and tuning into your body, that wisdom that you've cultivated through this practice of mindfulness and intention and clear seeing and um, concentration and, and being balanced, you can trust in the awareness, trust in, trust in the world as it unfolds. Not that it's going to be prizes, that's, that's preference, but that you'll just put one foot in front of the other. Just put one foot in front of the other. Oh, and here I'm looking at Rick Hansen's book, and he also quotes that same thing about life is not difficult for those who have no preferences. So um, it's worth it, especially right now. I think you're you're uh, bringing the idea of equanimity into your life is incredibly important and can be incredibly helpful, even if it seems a thousand light years away, allow the idea of it into your consciousness. I think that's always important when you just say, okay, I'm just going to bring this as a perhaps an aspiration. And um, I forget who it was who said it was nice to notice when, I think maybe Sharon, when something was not present. It's really helpful to notice when things are not present. Notice when the hindrances are gone. Notice when you are perhaps in a moment of equanimity because you have them throughout the day. You just may not be aware of it because the mind is so active. But there are occasionally times when you're at ease. Like if you have pets or or children or... um, are in nature or can watch the clouds or just 
something grabs your attention and you're just present with it. There's no grasping. There's no clinging. There's no preference. You're just being with what is. See if you can notice that. That's what you want to recognize. What does it feel like to be in this place of equanimity, of ease and not needing it to be different? That is what you want to cultivate because it's there. And, you know, the more you neuroscience, the more you you bring that into your world, the more the brain starts wiring in that way. So um, it's really beneficial. Thank you, my friends. I think that's about all I have for my ramblings on equanimity. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.